Hello and welcome to the Rethink Missions podcast, stories and lessons from frontier missionaries to unreached people groups. If you are a church planter, aspiring church planter, or missions-minded believer, this podcast will challenge your thinking and encourage your heart. Here is your host, Jeremy Wardlaw. Welcome to all of you out there listening. Today I'm super excited. We have Wes and Brenda Dick sharing their story. They worked with the Mbalo People Group in Asia Pacific. Today there is a thriving church that is having a great impact in their community. They've seen lives transformed and the whole community transformed for the good. So excited to hear their story and the lessons they've learned. Wes, can you just set the scene for us? Where was the church plant? Okay, we were in the middle of the third largest island in the world, tropical rainforest. And the river trip to get to the, where our tribe is and was, the Mbalo tribe, uh, would take anywhere from four days to two weeks. Four days to two weeks? Yeah, depending on the boat that you were on. All right, so you want the four-day boat. That... That's right. Fortunately, by the time we moved there, we joined an existing work, the airstrip had just been completed. So uh, that translated into a one-hour and 50-minute plane ride. All right, instead. that's an upgrade. It's very much of an upgrade, yes. So we were thrilled about that. But unfortunately, if the airstrip it flooded when we needed the plane then we would have to make a five-hour boat trip to get to the nearest other airstrip that was available for us. Okay, so quite isolated. And had the people, the Imbalo, you said, had they had um, access to scriptures in their language or a church that functioned in their language? No. What they had access to basically was government representatives uh, traders on boats coming to trade things with them. Uh, the things that they traded were like rubber or like that'd be raw rubber or a certain kind of nut that came into season once every seven years or wood. Uh, there was lots of wood available, especially when it was high water, then it was easy to float the logs out. So those were the main things for trading. So they had people like that come in. And they also had an anthropologist come in and live with them for several weeks, a year or two before the missionaries got there. So there was some trade, some anthropological study, and that was it. Yeah, there was the odd uh, mineral exploration outfit that would be in the area. Maybe they'd drop down by helicopter or something. And uh, the people were sort of bilingual, so outsiders would use the national language to communicate with them in very basic ways. Um, so today, is there a church in the Mbalo? There is a maturing, thriving church today in the Mbalo. I was uh, privileged to visit there five years ago, and uh, I was very encouraged with that visit. All right, so a, a maturing, thriving church. Is, what changes has that had sort of on the 
on the community? What positive oh, tremendous, impact? Tremendous changes. There's no more shamanism going on. The children are growing up not being exposed to that aspect of their former animistic culture. Uh, projects, physical projects have been done where before it was very difficult to get people to work together without good remuneration or payback. But uh, they've done a lot of upgrading in their village infrastructure, like building a suspension bridge across the river, for instance. Uh, they now have motorcycles that they can go to town an hour away, which used to be six hours by boat. A bus comes every day delivering uh, LPG tanks and ice and uh, whatever people order through the local grocery store. Uh, they have running water piped in from the hills from a spring. They've built bathrooms and shower places. Uh, they've built sidewalks throughout the village. Kids are riding on bicycles. It's just unbelievably different. The kids are growing up, hearing the gospel in the public school, because one of the ladies from the church, who's a registered school teacher, was assigned by the government to be the religion teacher in the local school. And so she teaches the chronological lessons from the Bible as part of the curriculum. And also in Sunday school, uh, the kids are hearing the gospel. So whether they're not in church or in church, they're at least hearing the gospel one way or another. Wow. So today there's a thriving church, and it's reaching, I mean, over how many villages is that church impacting? Well, before I came, got there for that visit five years ago, a couple of tragic things had happened. One... Our first elder died, and about a year later, the remaining elder's only child died. And uh, both of those uh, individuals had significant influence in the communities around, even that large community that's an hour drive away, which which is a national town, plus the villages around of which there are about a half a dozen. Uh, people were amazed at how many people came from all over the place to attend those funerals. And they they both had significant uh, witness uh, in the communities that they were in. Wow. The child was just in junior high school in that big town. And, of course, our elder, he was a medical worker by the gov- uh, commissioned by the government, And uh, he had a very good testimony. And so when these guys died, the testimony, it just became more evident and obvious Mm. of the kind of testimony that they had. Hmm. And it wasn't, I mean, we're talking about a lifetime testimony, not just, you know, a a weekend conference or a a film or something. This is someone, no. an elder who's been in the community and, and has lived there for decades mm-hmm. and, and they've seen his life change. That's amazing yeah, and impactful. Another thing that was a huge difference is that our village is now known as a dry village. They don't have the traditional parties 
that uh, the other tribes in the whole province normally have. These parties celebrate their animistic ways, and drinking is heavily involved. And so these guys have quit drinking alcoholic beverages. And uh, I heard the testimonies of a couple ladies whose husbands have quit, and the differences that they shared were just phenomenal. I mean, it's just not economic and uh, family improvements, but it's uh, an improvement in their witness for the Lord as well. Hmm. So how how long did it go from, I mean, we're talking about significant change, right? Yeah. And uh, so how long did it, has it taken to go, to get to this point? Well, missionaries first got there in 1974 and moved out of the village in 94 totally moved out of the village in 95. So we're talking 2013. It just seems like the most dramatic and significant work has been done since the missionaries left. Wow. And do they have the Bible in their language there? They have the New Testament, and they have selected portions from the Old Testament to uh, go along with the chronological lessons. So they do have that. They're also getting more bilingual all the time, so they have the National Bible uh, available for them as well. I mean, that's exactly what you would expect and hope for, significant growth and change um, based on their own indigenous elder and leadership, not missionaries, but to hear that it's actually happened. Yeah. Um, among the Imbalo. That's amazing. The only thing is, while we were in there, it didn't seem all that exciting about what was happening. Right. It seemed like it was much easier to see the problems and the difficulties and the barriers. For instance, when the missionaries first got there, the people were ready to accept religion. They said, tell us what to do. Build us a church building. Right. And we'll follow. So they wanted religion. They, they wanted religion. It was being pushed by the government at the time as a opposition force against communism, the philosophy of communism. And so if everybody had a recognized religion, in the eyes of the government, that was most favorable in combating the scourge of communism. You mentioned that it didn't feel like it was a impactful work or that it was... Um, there were moments where it felt like it was taking a long time. Um, maybe you could talk about some of those challenges that you felt. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges you felt? Well, I remember one time when we were by ourselves and the tribe, our partners were on furlough, and uh, I had just had a frustration level of uh, trying to get guys to go with me on regular outreach trips upriver. There was two villages where we had services on the weekends as well. And the furthest one was a two and a half hour walk one way. And finally I just quit trying to get people to go with me. And for one year I just went by myself. Just out of frustration every week. Back and forth. And uh our church planning consultant came by for a visit 
And boy, he really scolded me on that score. He said, in one sense, that was a waste of your time. If you're not discipling along the way, you're wasting your time. You need to build into people's lives. And so if they don't readily want to come with you, well, so be it. Don't go then. Or really trust the Lord to find a faithful person to go with you. So our our goal for many years was finding faithful people. Mm. Uh, we discipled, we each discipled three families. As couples, we would disciple another family. And we'd meet regularly with them every week. And uh, so our hope was that out of this, we would get some faithful men and some faithful ladies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and at some points it seemed like things were going fairly well. At other points it seemed discouraging. One time we had a couple come and visit us. They were friends of ours. They didn't know either the national language or the tribal language. And we weren't thinking God was doing a whole lot. And they came, looked around, participated in life there, they noticed all kinds of things that God was doing. Hmm. So that was encouraging to us. Just needed a different perspective. Hmm. Sometimes getting too close, looking at the trees in the forest, you can't see the forest for the trees, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're looking real hard overall to see what God is doing, and we're not noticing the things close up that are obvious to even a person that's not involved in what we're doing. Right. Um, You mentioned the Umbala language. Could you give us some just practical expressions, a greeting maybe that I could, I could try my hand at? Well, if you're asking someone, where are you going? Which is very common to ask when you meet on the trail, you'd say, Tote Michael. Okay. Say that again. Tote Michael. To Michael. To Michael. To Michael. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I did that wrong. No, it sounded good. Your focus was on discipleship, trying to find those three couples you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, Brenda, could you tell us your role? And um, obviously, you were part of that discipling, but you're um, also taking care of children and trying to manage life there. What were some of the challenges for you Some or some of the things that you saw God do? One of the things that I did quite a bit of was medical work, helping people. A lot of it was just basic medicine and basic health care. Um, so I was responsible for a lot of that at at the beginning. Um, studying language was also a very big part of my day. And then also we had two small children when we moved to the tribe. Our, um, our oldest son had just turned three and our second, no, pardon me, had just turned four and two. So I had quite a bit to do with, um, just taking care of the kids and 
cooking and yeah, whatever else household duties I had as well as language and doing some medical work as well. So do you remember how you were able to balance? I mean, that's three full-time jobs, medical, study language, taking care of your kids. How, how were you able to balance all of that, find those pockets of time? What were some keys for you? Well, I guess partly every day does not look the same. It's not like every single day I could do six hours of language or not every day I could, um, yeah, mostly it was language study. Medical work was usually in the evening. Our people were very, they're very industrious. They're working during the day and planting their gardens. And so medical was done at night. And uh, Wes and I both did that together. Mm. She handled the blood better than I did. <laughs> so if it was a, a messy one, you you avoided that one. Yeah. So, um, and then food prep. We did a lot of canning of food. We didn't have um, we didn't have regular flights into our tribe with supplies. And food was not um, readily available. Meat was not readily available in the tribe. Um, sometimes our people would bring fish, but you didn't really want to take a whole lot of their stuff because they needed their fish to eat. So we did usually get our supplies in on the plane or by boat. Um, so anyway, I would do a lot of canning and putting food away and... Um, yeah, so that would make our food prep easy. So on those days, I didn't get any language study done for sure. Right. Our kids were small, and they, the two boys, they played very well in the house. And yeah, that was not a big thing. Later on, when they started school, I was not doing formal language study at that time. And so, yeah, I was able to do their homeschooling as well when they were in kindergarten, first grade. Wow. Teacher, uh, doctor, language study, <laughs> language um, learner, and balancing all of that. Wow, that's amazing. I think one of the things that is is really important when you move into a tribal area is to start getting to know people. That helps you with your language study, for one thing. But it also makes you get out of your comfort zone and start getting to know people and becoming a part of of community. And you don't always feel like doing that. A lot of times it is easier to just stay at home and take take up time with your own things you'd like to do. Sometimes you'd like to just lose yourself in a book or, you know, take a nap or whatever. And you do have to make yourself get up go out, walk up that longhouse, and visit with people. So that is always a challenge. It's, it's just to do what the Lord wants you to do and not always what's comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's real for anyone, really. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, even not missionaries, people that are at home and uh, they've got neighbors that they know the Lord wants them to connect with. Or do I just sit on this couch mm-hmm. and read my book? 
or watch my show. Yep. It's uh, pretty easy. Yeah. It has to be selfish. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe you could give us a perspective on the team and how you guys made an effort to work together and balance your roles and, and sort of figure figure out how you were going to do this together. We lived we lived close together. Our houses actually were probably closer together than recommended. Um, but since we had joined an existing work, the houses were already built. And so we basically just moved into the house that was next door to our partners. Um, we did have team meetings to talk about the work and um, everything we did pretty much we did together, planned together. We had fun together, too. Uh, Once a week, we would get together in the evening and play board games or table games or something like that. Did we do it with the kids? I don't remember. When they were old enough. When they were old enough to play those kinds of games, like Dutch Blitz or something like that. Okay. Then they would join us, too. But at least uh, we got together for fun, and we did get together for serious, more serious times as well. We felt we needed to do both together, not just the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, uh, I built a couple of badminton courts outside, and so we would play with the teenage boys for two hours every day. In the last two hours of light of the day, when it was the coolest, but you could still see. Okay. So as your recreation, just yeah. get out, and that seems like that would be important for not just you, but the boys. You yeah, know? or we'd play croquet on the airstrips, you know, as our two families would be together. The kids would all be there, and we'd do something like that. Uh, Brenda would often walk the airstrips with our partner's wife for exercise, that kind of thing. And to settle all the problems in our work. Right, right. <laughs> you figure it all out on the walk. We would have it all figured out by the time we ended our walk every day. Oh, yeah. Well, I go on a walk every day with <laughs> Cecilia. She's one. And me and her figure everything out. Yeah. <laughs> she squawks <laughs> while I yabber on. Yeah. Uh, our houses were very simply built and they weren't quite up to the standards that we would envision our house to be for a long-term dwelling. And so we were always constantly remodeling our houses, changing the bark walls to boards and that type of thing, uh, putting in better windows or screens and so on. So uh, there was always those kinds of projects at hand to give us a bit of a break from the regular stuff okay so you know fixing the house for you was a bit of a break Mm -hmm. then yeah and i could i could definitely see how that would be the case for me i I like working with my hands and stuff and um, i could see how that would be could be challenging for someone else who doesn't like doing that sort of thing but at least it didn't take a lot of skill to do okay very basic (laughs) yeah hammer the nail in Yeah, but hammering nails into hard wood, you do have to learn some tricks. Okay, what are some tricks? One trick is to 
spin the nail in a bar of soap. What? Before you pound it into ironwood. That sounds like magic. It is. <laughs> or you put dip it into some kerosene and then pound it in. And it just works as a lubricant? Yeah, and keeps the nail straight. Wow. Otherwise, it just bends. And the nails over there were not the top quality nails that you would get from your local hardware store here. So you're fighting on two different fronts. Was safety ever a concern in your uh, situation? Physical safety from the people there? No. Uh, sometimes I would be gone for a week or longer on a trip, an outreach trip, and uh, we didn't have safety concerns. And how about health? Was that something you had to manage? Um, yes, definitely health is a big part of living interior. You have no doctors. Uh, we, we were very fortunate in that we had a radio contact with a hospital, and they would have um, what we called med-sked or radio-sked every day. And you could talk to a doctor about um, things that the people were suffering from or things that you yourself were having problems with, and they would walk you through what to do. Well, shortly after we moved interior, actually it was right as our partners were leaving us for the first time, they were going home on furlough, and we had been in the tribe a month. Six weeks, yeah. Six weeks with them. And after about an hour after they had uh, left, our son, our oldest son, fell off one of our boardwalks and cut his arm open with on barbed wire. Mm. So right away, I sort of cleaned his arm good, and and then we called to see if we could have the plane come because we knew it needed stitching. But the plane, there was no way for us to get to the hospital in time for him to have stitches because you, they won't stitch. It's not wise to stitch after a certain amount of time. So by the next day, it would have been too late for us to um, have stitches. And you can't fly at night in the middle of the jungle. So um, then I had to just, I talked to the doctor. So I scrubbed his arm out really good and butterflied his arm and Put him on antibiotics, and he healed fine. Wow, that would be quite that. That would be challenging for me. <laughs> that was. I think. I think that made me realize how isolated we really were. That right. was a very sobering moment um, for me. And we did have various other things um, happen in the tribe. You do feel quite responsible for for people. We had a measles epidemic and. Kids were um, getting pneumonia and dying, and and so you you carry some of that weight of of their health issues. And when you're new and you don't speak the language very much, it was quite a challenge for us in a very hard, uh, discouraging time um, for a while. Our first lessons we studied were medical lessons, so that we could ask for symptoms and find out what was going on with with the tribal people. Uh, and yes, we have had lots of different sicknesses from malaria to 
Uh, one man came to us. He had been attacked by a wild pig. Another another guy also um, was his arm was cut by the tusk of a wild pig. Yeah, and then normal sicknesses, congestion, all those things are very hard on people who um, who don't know how to take care of them. So a lot of our stuff was teaching them how to take care of themselves, first aid stuff, as well as um, we did have some medicine that was available to them. Mm-hmm. We did go to that hospital for annual checkups. On our first one, we found out we were all anemic because we weren't eating enough meat. Oh, wow. And that was affecting our health. Mm-hmm. So that was a very basic type of thing that uh, you have to watch out for. Right. Get more meat, more <laughs> <Yeah>. fish. <laughs> <laughs> Any final final words of advice as you see young missionaries going out? Uh, the world has changed, but not that much. People still need the Lord, and it's just regular people that are heading out to these um unreached people and places. And so any words of advice that you could give to young missionaries that are headed out or wanting to head out? If you're heading out from the U.S. or Canada, uh, our culture isn't as relational as a lot of these other cultures are that we go to around the world. And that's where we are at a disadvantage. And so we need to keep that in mind. Coming from North American, or specifically Canadian and U.S. cultures, uh, relationships aren't as emphasized in our culture as they are in most cultures that we are going to go to. So things based on relationships in these other cultures is paramount. It's, It's the thing. You just couldn't imagine not doing anything without a basis of relationships. doesn't matter whether you're doing government work, you know, or uh, supply buying. Whatever you do, it's all about relationships and fostering those relationships. They're key. And, of course, that's what God is all about anyways, right? So we're just fitting better into his plan as we have relationships at the forefront of our minds and our business. And uh, another thing that I would say is that uh, God is always working. Even though we may not see everything that he's doing, uh, we can be assured that he is working because he's that type of God. He's always working on our behalf, on his behalf, for his glory. So as we Uh, seek to bring glory to God, he will fulfill his part of the thing and he will do his work with his spirit. Great reminder to know that God is always working even when we can't see it. I think one thing that to me that is a big thing is faith and trusting God You'll come up, we came up against many situations during our time on the field and even in our lives here, now that we're back um, in Canada. God is the one who will 
carry our burdens. He's the one who does the work through us. Um, so many times we can lose sight of the fact that God is the one working and it's not us trying to work and accomplish all the things that we think we need to do and to be able to rest in the fact that um, God will do the work. A lot of times when I look back at living in the tribe and the things that God has done there, um, I feel like I must have just been sitting there watching while all this happened because I don't really remember a whole lot of what important thing I was doing in order to see this accomplished. Um, so just remembering that the weight of things is not meant for us to carry, that we have a great God and he is the one that is going to be working to see his will accomplished in the lives of the people that you work with in the lives of um, yours in your own life. Um, he's doing something in our lives as well as through our lives. And a lot of times, like Wes said, we aren't even aware of it. We don't see the ways that God works, but he is a faithful God and he's faithful always. Awesome. Thank you so much. What a great, time it's been to learn from you guys and and to hear your story and uh, for those of you out there listening god is working even when you can't see it whether you're on the field or you're here in north america god is at work and we need to just trust him take those steps even if it's awkward and uncomfortable go see the neighbor or um, connect with our co-workers and share Christ. God bless to you all. You've been listening to the Rethink Missions podcast. For more information and episodes, go to wmissions.com. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review and subscribe 